Claremont Bible Chapel. You guys are off the hook tonight. Uh, not going on a lot of sleep, so if you fall asleep, I'll fall asleep, and we'll all just take a nap together. Um, I'm still recovering from yesterday's golf tournament, and uh, uh, it was uh, an exciting day. Um, we, uh, we left it all out on the field. Um, we sacrificed life and limb, and uh, we came in third, our team. So, uh, t- and we were uh, carried on the backs of Tristan, um, the giant. Uh, it was fun. I chose the wrong footwear, and uh, I think I caught trench foot. Um, and uh, I was soaked to the bone. And uh, I told the guys, I said, cops, we have two rules. Um, we don't get hungry, or we don't go hungry, and we don't get wet. And we broke both of those rules yesterday. Um, we don't get wet because we wear u- wool uniforms and you, you smell like a wet dog um, in wool uniforms. Um, but it was, a, it was a great, great time yesterday. Uh, it, the weather picked up after the ninth hole. Um, it was like we turned the corner and the birds were singing and I had a hot dog and everything was good after that. Um, so a special thanks to, to Ryan and Jen. Uh, they did an outstanding job of putting that all together. In the future, I highly encourage everybody to, um, if you're interested, to, to sign up. Um, it seems like the numbers are growing. And uh, even if you're not a good golfer, um, none of us are. So um, you, all ha- you, you will have a good time. And um, as I was thinking about the golf tournament and just the, the, the fun that we had and the, the, the time that we had together as a, just a family, a group of believers, um, enjoying, enjoying uh, being outside, I really started to think about the service that takes place in this assembly. Um, this assembly is our home. It, it's, it's family. Uh, I grew up here. Um, my dad grew up here. Uh, my grandparents are here. Um, I love this place. Uh, I love everything about it, um, the people. And absence makes the heart grow fonder. And as I've been in this kind of stage of my life at work, um, for the last six months, I, I've had to take a step back and um, really unplug from some ministries, and it, it, it hurts. Um, it's not comfortable. Um, I like to be here. Um, I want to be here. But the, the encouraging thing that took place during this time, as I'm coming to the end of it, is watching everything just function kind of from an outsider's view, um, watching all the ministries take place um, and just, just run. Um, faithful service for years and years and years. I was thinking this afternoon about the people that went before us, um, George and Jean McKay, Jack and Adelaide Montgomery, um, Harry and Dorothy, uh, Don and Shirley, all these saints that we, you know, got to, I got to sit at the feet of growing up and watch them labor and watch them work um, and just their faithfulness to, to, this, to this assembly. And it got me thinking, and, and uh, when, I'm, when I was thinking about service and what it means to be a servant of God, we think of the heroes of the faith. Um, in our Monday Night Bible study, we've been, we've been going through the book of Hebrews, and we went through uh, chapter 11, and we, just, we hit all the, the, the high notes on chapter 11 of all these men and women that served the Lord faithfully. But even in contemporary years, we have men and women that we look up to as, as heroes of the faith. Um, we think of in, in, in the scriptures, we think of the apostles, but then it goes on. We think of um, men like George Mueller, um, D.L. Moody, 
Billy Graham and uh, Elizabeth Elliot, uh, just to name a few, some of which some that we've all heard and, and know and love. Um, and it made me think of how did they get to become such great servants of God? Um, who were these people? Um, most of them, if not all of them, came from simple backgrounds. Um, the apostles, they were fishermen, they were businessmen, uh, they were medical personnel. Um, George Mueller um, was a scoundrel. Um, he was in trouble with the law um, before he became a Christian. Um, Moody, uh, D.L. Moody, was an uneducated shoe cobbler. Um, Billy Graham was a dairy farmer. And, and as we know, Elizabeth Elliot, she's a, a, a widowed missionary. Simple backgrounds, and yet these men and women did great things for the Lord. So tonight I'd like to look at the, the how to become a godly servant, the, the H-O-W. Uh, so, as I mentioned, I am a little sleep-deprived, um, so bear with me. Um, and uh, with that being said, turn to Second Judges. Um, second Judges. Um, judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. We're going to look at a man this evening, and we're going to uh, kind of take apart his life, his story. Um, the book of Judges, and, and we'll do some background, but um, it was a time period in Israel where um, Israel was on a vicious cycle of walking with the Lord, then falling into sin, then being uh, punished and put into some bondage, and then brought back um, through a judge into, into fellowship with the Lord. And it was this cycle of, of, of God raising up these judges to bring Israel back. And tonight I want to look at one judge in particular, uh, a judge that has been extremely helpful for me over the last six months, um, this man Gideon. Uh, Gideon is a very interesting man uh, to look at, to, to pick apart He's probably written, I think he has the most text out of the Judges. So we're not going to go verse by verse tonight. Um, we don't have that much time. Um, but we are going to take some highlights of the Gideon story and look at how did Gideon become a godly servant, the H-O-W of, of being a godly uh, servant. <clears throat> so just for background, we won't read this, but in the first ten verses of the chapter, um, you're given uh, what's taking place. The children of Israel have fallen into bondage, and they're being attacked by these marauders, these, these, um, these pirates that keep coming in, uh, land pirates that come in, swoop in right as uh, Israel is, is during the harvest time. Israel, they, they, they lay the crop, they do all the work, they harvest all the grain, all the fruit of their labor, and then the, the people from the east, the Amalekites, the Midianites, they come in and they steal everything. Um, this puts Israel back on their heels. Um, they're, they're just being viciously attacked and um, they can't win. One thing about the, the, the Midianites was they were a nomadic people. So they were constantly moving. It's one thing if you know that the people, is, they're over here, they live over here. So now we just need to attack them over here. It's a lot harder when they're spread out. The other thing about the Midianites is they were massive. Um, they, they were attack, attacking this p portion of Israel that was smaller in number, and the Midianites were huge. 
um, as we'll see in this story, there was upwards of 135,000 soldiers in this army. And it says that their camels were numerous, without number. Um, they were like locusts. Um, just the, 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 the intimidation factor of the Midianites struck fear into the heart of the children of Israel. And they would just come and swoop in and take and then leave. Um, so Israel's in a bad place. The reason why this is taking place is because Israel has given their heart over to idolic worship, to the worship of Baal and Asheroth. Um, they've fallen away from the Lord, and the Lord is using this to draw them back. Um, as you'll see, and, and we won't look at it, but the Lord sends a prophet, and uh, he says, um, if you just glance at it, um, in, starting in verse, uh, let's see, 7, Judges chapter 6 and verse 7. Uh, the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you out of Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you um, and also uh, said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you, and this is the key, have not obeyed my voice. Because of their disobedience, because of the hardness of their heart, the Lord has brought this upon them. So then we open the scene of Gideon. Now, if you were going to write a hero story, as we see countless, almost to the point of exhaustion, hero movie after hero movie after hero movie coming out these days, um, we have a, a good idea of what we want our heroes to be like. Um, if you were to write the story of Gideon, Gideon uh, you probably would picture this big, muscular guy, and the scene would open with him sharpening his sword um, as the angel of the Lord came to to visit him and, and say, I need you to go fight this battle. And, you know, or maybe he'd be forging some weapon in the fire. You know, that's, that's what we want. That's what we want to see in our heroes. Big, strong, tough, right? Let's look at it. So we'll start reading in verse 11 of, Gideon, of Judges chapter 6. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which, is when, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And we'll just stop there for a second. Threshing wheat. Um, this was a, a common trade among the Israelites, among the people in that area. And to thresh wheat, you would always do this on some sort of precipice, some sort of mountaintop usually on a flat area. You'll think back to when uh, King David bought the land for where the temple was going to be bought. He bought it on what? A threshing floor. And that's where um, the temple lays today, or, or used to. Um, a threshing floor, a nice flat place. The reason for this is because the wind, and you need wind to thresh wheat. There would be a nice flat place. They would even lay stone down, flat stone, and they would put all the wheat on there. And then they would have some sort of animal, uh, perhaps a mule or some sort. And dragging behind the mule would be some sort of weighted uh, boards of some kind, flat or maybe just heavy cloths. And they would drag over the wheat. And what that would do, it, it, was, it would separate the wheat from the chaff. And then they would take some sort of uh, fork or, or, or some sort of farm inst or an instrument. And they would throw the wheat or the, the mixture up into the air. And then the wind coming over, up over that hill, would blow the chaff away. And what fell to the ground would be the wheat. And now it's on a nice flat surface. You gather it up and you have your fruit. 
This is the common practice for threshing wheat. Where do we find Gideon threshing wheat? He's in a wine press. Now, this is a totally different part. Um, just looking at pictures of it, I haven't been to Israel. I, I'd love to go one day. But um, wine presses that they found there were usually up against the bottom of, the, of, of a cliff or over a, a mountain. It'd be in a cold, damp place um, away from the sun. It'd usually be carved out of some sort of stone, and, um, and it would be deep. They would pour all the grapes into the, the big vat, and they would stomp on it or run some sort of instrument across it. The, the, the juice would flow down some trough and into a, uh, into a jar or, or a wineskin of some sort, and then they would wait for the fermentation to take place. Um, no wind at the bottom of this cliff. Um, not only that, it's kind of just pictured like a pool, like a spa. You're in the bottom of the spa, and this is where Gideon is. He has all his wheat. He's in this hollowed-out stone, and he's trying to thresh and get as much wind as he possibly can. This is where we find our hero. Um, he's, in the, he's in the bottom of a, of a wine press attempting to thresh wheat, and you almost kind of picture him looking over his shoulder, you know, every once in a while peeking up over the, the, the lip of the wine press, seeing if the, uh, the Midianites are coming. The angel of the Lord appears to him. This is, this is a pre-incarnate Christ. Um, the angel of the Lord says, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. No doubt Gideon is probably looking around thinking, Who are you talking to? <laughs> I, I'm here, I'm hiding, right? Um, and Gideon said, he even responds quickly and says, My Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Where is the Lord in all this? I mean, I'm, 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 in, I'm in the bottom of a spa trying to thresh wheat, and you're saying that the Lord is with us. Did not the Lord bring us uh, up from Egypt, but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. We're in bad shape. Almost as if the Lord doesn't pay any attention to that. He says in verse 14, Go in this might of yours. You shall save Israel from the, uh, from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Okay. Um, the, first, the first point that we have this evening, in order to be a godly servant, to be a, a man or woman used by God, is you have to hear God's voice. You have to listen and, and take it in. This is a time where Gideon is face-to-face, is -face, as we'll see. Um, he realizes after the, the whole meeting takes place, he's face-to-face -face with the Lord. And the Lord is giving him direct instructions on what to do. And he hears. He hears. Um, he says in verse 16, I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites. Gideon hears this. Now, in Gideon's perspective of himself, he's completely unqualified for this, as we'll see. Um, he says in verse, starting in verse, um, uh, picking up in verse 15, he says, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. The less of the least. I'm the less of the least. Not only am I from the tribe of Manasseh, do you remember that, Lord, the, the tribe that was cut in half? I'm not even the best in that tribe. My family's the weakest. And even in my family, I'm, I'm the weakest. I'm the smallest. 
you got to be talking to the wrong person. Again, going back to the Hollywood version, we want this guy sharpening the sword, and we have this guy perhaps sweaty, throwing uh, you know, weed up into the air, covered in chaff, like, me? Are you you're talking to me? The weakest, the smallest of the, of the family. Um, he's scared. Why would the Lord choose him? Out of everybody, why would the Lord choose him? 1 Corinthians, and we're not, we're not going to turn there for the sake of time, but 1 Corinthians 1, uh, Paul writes to them and says, God has chosen the foolish of things of this world to put to shame the wise. He has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of this world um, which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that, what? No flesh should glory in his presence. God chose Gideon because if God uses Gideon, as we will see in his story in his life, God is the one that gets the glory. Look back at Billy Graham, a dairy farmer from North Carolina. Look at what God did with that. Um, D.L. Moody, an uneducated shoe cobbler, God uses. And now D.L., there's, there's the Moody Bible Institute. He has his own school now um, in his name. Um, God uses the weak things because he gets the glory when he does. Um, Gideon is here. He's in this wine place. He hears everything the Lord says. Um, at, even after this, even after saying all these things, Lord, I'm the less, I'm the least. What is the Lord? How does the Lord respond in verse 16? The Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. He repeats himself. He says, I'm with you. I sent you. I'm going to be behind you. And Gideon hears this. He listens. And so, jumping ahead, um, he, he wants to, to, to show favor or, or to, to respond to this. And he, and he says, if, if this is true, let me go get you something. And he runs off and he prepares a meal. He prepares some broth, um, some bread, and then some meat. <clears throat> and he brings it back to the angel of the Lord. And he puts it before him. Um, then some specific instructions come. In verse 20, the angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Um, the offering disappears. This, this meal offering that he's just given to the, the angel of the Lord, um, a, a pre, pre-incarnate or pre-visitation of, of Christ. And I was thinking, of why, why did he prepare this meal? And I'm thinking, how was Gideon raised? Well, Gideon was raised, and we're going to see this in a few verses, his father Joash. Joash was a prominent man in his circle, in his town. And Joash, his father, had a very um, elaborate statue, um, an idol made for Ashtaroth and Baal in the town square. That was Gideon's dad's idol. And if, like myself, if you've gone to any other type of restaurant, you'll see, um, I remember I handled a, <coughs> a radio call at a certain, uh, at a certain restaurant, won't, won't name the, the type of food, but um, I went to the back kitchen. And in the back kitchen, because we had to go back to look at security cameras, in the back kitchen was a little idol, and right underneath the idol was a plate of food, like fresh food that they had just made. And it was for the idol. 
Like, but the idol never eats the food, right? And I'm thinking, how many times did Gideon see people put baskets of food at the foot of Baal? Nothing happened. And here he puts this, this, this meal offering before the angel of the Lord, and it is consumed in his presence. Gideon, the lights go on. He realizes, I just saw the Lord face to face. He's fearful. Um, nobody is allowed to see the Lord face to face and live, as we'll see here um, in, these, in these next few verses. Gideon perceived in verse 22 that he had seen the Lord, and alas, uh, he said, Alas, O, o Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. And to this day, it is still in Ophrah. The Lord is peace. Um, Gideon hears everything. He hears everything that God has told him. This is what I want you to do. This is what you're going to do. This is what's going to happen. And he hears it. He sees it, he takes it all in, and he's scared. He's really, really scared. Um, he's scared of the situation. He's scared of what he just went through. And what does God do to calm his fear? He says, it's okay. Peace. The God of all comfort is here. Um, I am with you. I sent you. And he, he, he builds this altar. The Lord is peace. And this, to me, was a huge encouragement over the last six months. The Lord is peace. Um, staring down the barrel of this training, um, the fear of failure every morning just made my stomach turn. I just oh, didn't want to go to work. Um, yeah, it was hard. And this, this verse here, the Lord is peace, just was such a help to me um, to be reminded of no matter what I'm going through, whether it's a, a job situation, a health scare, uh, a family issue, the Lord is peace. Um, he is the one that... that that he's the prince of peace. And he says, don't be afraid. Peace be with you. Do not fear. You will not die. I am with you. You will defeat the Midianites. Um, Gideon's unqualified. He's scared to death. He's weak. He's small. Um, why would you use him? A, a, a wheat farmer? Really? To lead the, the whole charge against this, this army that's as numerous as, the, the, you know, uh, as locusts? Um, when I was thinking about him, I was thinking about all these men and women that we read about and, and biographies that we look at. And uh, Hudson Taylor actually said that all of God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his power and presence with them. All of God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his power and presence with them. They weren't dependent upon themselves. They didn't lean upon their own skills and abilities to get them through the day. Um, and, and he did. The Lord did. The Lord used these men and women in great ways. Uh, Jonathan Edwards was a monotone preacher who read every word of his sermons. I mean, can you just, I mean, like, I, like I'm boring, but just imagine that, you know. Um, he read everything. But when he read, read this sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, he had to stop several times during the reading because of the cries and wails in the audience because of the, the, the uh, conviction that was pouring out on the people. Was it because he was a dynamic, enthusiastic speaker and eloquent and, and charismatic? No. 
It was the Spirit of God. It was God using His words to touch the heart of, his, of the people that He wanted to, to reach. Um, un, unqualified, you conquer this. You conquer this fear and this, this, this idea by spending time with the Lord and listening to Him, hearing God's Word, being under the sound of, of preaching, being, spending time reading, and spending time in prayer, hearing God in prayer. Um, the H, hear. The next uh, um, point, you will, is uh, the H-O, is to obey what is told to you. Uh, obey his voice. Um, the next, uh, if you look back at our text in, in verse 27, um, I'm sorry, verse 25. Now it came to pass that same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of uh, this rock in, pro- in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. This is what God is asking Gideon to do. You know that big giant idol that's in the center of the town square? You know, I kind of picture of it like, I don't know, Disney movie, like it's by the well or something. It's in the middle of the town. And they all come out, and they see, every morning they come out and they see it. And it's this big wood pole. Ashtaroth typically was a big giant wood pole. Sometimes it had carvings in it. And then Baal would have been some sort of stone work. Um, he says, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take your dad's prized bull, okay? In modern day talk, this is your dad's brand new truck, right? Take your dad's brand new truck, or, you know, for a farmer, take your dad's brand new, and they're, they're very expensive, million dollar combine, and I want you to go, and I want you to tear down this altar that everybody in town worships. Then I want you to take that same truck or combine or cow or bull that you used to pull it down, and I want you to chop it into pieces and build an altar and sacrifice your dad's bull on that altar. Go ahead. Okay. Remember, this is the guy that's hiding in the wine press, right? He hears what God says. And then we'll see in the next verse, in verse 27. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord said to him. He obeyed. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. Many commentators and preachers and people, as you read this, you kind of throw stones at Gideon saying, oh, this guy, he's scared, he did it at night. Put yourself in his shoes. I mean, literally, put yourself in his shoes. He's taking his dad's, I mean, that just, it's mind-boggling what he's going to do here. Um, so he does it by night. Um, perhaps this is the best tactic because of the, uh, um, the town, the uprising of the town. Um, keep in mind that the Lord ordered this. So no matter what time, day or night, and, and any time the Lord tells us to do something, the Lord expects immediate obedience, not delayed. Not, so Gideon, it, it, there's partial obedience in this in that he waits until nighttime, but he does it. He fulfills what the Lord has asked him to do. Um, the town loses their minds. They just go berserk. They're upset. They wake up in the morning. That thing that they saw every day when they got out of their, their tent or hut or whatever they had is gone. It's gone. Not only is it gone, 
all the pieces from that had been used to build, build an altar to Jehovah, to the God of Israel. They're livid. And they say, the men of the city arose in the morning, in verse 28, there was an altar, uh, the altar of Baal was torn down, the wooden image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bowl was being offered on the altar which was being built. So they said to one another, who did this? Okay. Um, this is not a big town, perhaps. Uh, more like a, maybe an Andy Griffith show type of town. Everybody knows everybody. Word travels fast. They know that was Gideon's boy, or that was Joash's boy, Gideon, that did this. So they want him. Then they said, in, uh, so they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has, has done this. Then the men of the city said to him, bring him out that he may die. Israel is so spiritually blind that they want to kill Gideon for creating a sacrifice, an altar for Jehovah because of him tearing down their false, their false idol. This is how backwards they are. And this is how God uses the obedience of one man to turn the hearts of the people back. Um, this is where a miracle takes place. Um, Dad's prize bull has just been used to tear down the altar, and his other prize bull has been sacrificed on the altar. I think Dad would be very upset. What does Joash do? Joash actually stands up and stands in the gap between his son and the angry mob and says, for the sake of time, says, if Baal is a god, he can defend himself. If Baal is a god, he can defend himself. And from that day forward, they actually changed Gideon's name to Jerubbabel in verse 32 that says, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. This is the nickname that they give uh, to Gideon um, from this action that he did. Because he was obedient to the Lord, the Lord raises up his dad to stand in the gap, to spare his life so that he may be used. Um, because in all accounts, he should have been dead. Um, this giant angry mob, everybody wants to kill him. All these Abyssalites, they're upset. Um, obey his voice. Um, Gideon uh, had some, something to do before he could go forward in service to the God. Um, the Lord put his finger on it. He says, before you're going to defeat the Midianites, you have to tear down this altar. This has to go. Um, there was an altar set up in his life. Perhaps he even worshipped at it. We don't know. Um, and the Lord says, you need to take it down. And when I was thinking about this, um, thinking about this in, in, in the aspect of being a servant for God, um, what are the altars that are in my life that hinder me from going forward and serving the Lord? Um, I, I remember there's been several, uh, sad to say. Um, right out of high school, uh, not in sports anymore, working out was, was an idol for me. I loved going to the gym. I just mindlessly go to the gym and just spend hours there, you know, playing basketball, working out, doing all this stuff, just wasting time, you know. And uh, that, then I grew up and played, I grew up and, and moved on to video games. That's how I grew up. And uh, video games became an idol. And, and the Lord had to put his finger on that and say, you got to get rid of that. And, and all these little things that we set up, some of them in, in and of themselves, they're not necessarily bad. They're not bad. Reading books, not bad. Um, some hobbies, they're not bad. But when they take the place of the Lord, um, 
They're, they're, they're wicked and they're evil. And they draw your hearts away from God. They distract you. And this is what Gideon had to do. God says, you have to take this down in order for us to go forward, in order for us to get this victory. Um, <clears throat> and uh, we'll, we'll move forward. So uh, in order to be a godly servant, you must hear God's voice. You must obey God's voice. Be obedient. Um, we're going to see this plays out through, throughout the life of, of Gideon. Um, we'll, we'll fast forward a little bit only because we need to highlight some things. Um, as the story goes on, um, um, Gideon is, is asked to do several things. Um, but one thing that, that's interesting is that once this all takes place, um, the altars come down and, uh, and the, alt- the altar to the Lord has been built up. He says in, um, it, we'll start reading in verse 33, it says, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the East gathered together and they crossed over and in, encamped into the valley of Jezreel. Now, in a military, um, in, in, in war, in battle, being, uh, being in the low ground, being in the trenches is a bad place to be. Um, you want high ground. You want to be able to see where the enemy's coming from. And this whole army just mobilized coincidence into this valley of Jezreel. And this is where they're camping now. Um, there's no coincidence. The Lord does this. And they're in the low ground. Then look what, look, verse 34, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and the Abyssalites gathered behind him. The Spirit of the Lord came. Gideon, this wheat farmer, um, the scared wheat farmer from the wine press, has now torn down his, da- his dad's idol. Um, he stood up to his community and, and took a, a stand for the Lord. And now, it says the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. He's being guided or led or driven by the Spirit. Um, he's he's Spirit-filled at this point. And in order to be a godly servant, in order to be used by God, um, we have to hear and we have to obey. We have to be Spirit-filled in, an obe- in our obedience. Um, and this spirit-filled life of Gideon attracted the Abyssalites. Just a few verses ago, a few minutes ago, the Abyssalites wanted Gideon's head on a plate before tearing down their idol. Now, all of a sudden, because of this, the, the spirit working through Gideon, everybody, it says, all the Abyssalites gather behind him. And then he sends messengers throughout and gathers the rest of the army. So he collects this huge army. He gets 32,000 people together. Um, sounds like a big group, um, but it's not in comparison to the, the army that they're going up against. Um, you need to hear, you need to obey, and then you need to, and this is the W of the how, you need to watch God work. Um, hear his voice, obey his voice, and then get out of the way and watch him work. Um, it wasn't in the might of Gideon that these things took place. It was in the, the, the spirit moving. It was in the work of the Lord doing these things through Gideon. Um, uh, <clears throat> as, as we're running out of time, we're just going to fast forward through the story. Gideon assembles this army of 32,000 men. And the Lord says, um, okay, that's too many people. 
Now, uh, 32,000 versus 135,000 and camels, as far as the eye can see, um, that, those are bad odds. That, that's, not a, that's not a fair fight. And God says, I know. So he says, make, tell everybody, call them all together and say, everybody that is scared can go home. Okay, you know, uh, you know, perhaps there was a big, like, long pause. Nobody wanted to take that first step. But eventually, 12,000 people say, all right, I'm out of here. I'll see you. And they take a hike. They go back home. So now we're at 10,000. And now it's getting a little awkward. Um, we're 10,000 people. We're going up at 135,000 people in, in the valley. Okay, all right, maybe if we, you know, flank them from this side and we distract them and we do all these things, okay. And then the Lord says, that's still too much. That's still too much. Then he says, take them all down to the brook. And he says, watch how they drink water. And he says, the ones that are careless, that just get on all fours and stick their head in the water and drink without looking around, without paying attention, you send those home. And the ones that are tactical, that bring the, the water to their mouth and sip as they're looking around, those ones you stay. Just imagine Gideon doing this. So he's sitting there, he's watching the group, and he watches all of them, 10,000 of them, and only 300 do it right. Okay. Now this, this is just borderline insanity, you would say. 300 people going up against 135,000 uh, men armed to the teeth who have, for the last couple years, have been just terrorizing our communities. This is what you want us to do? And the Lord says, that's right, I can use that. When, when, when we obey the Lord, when we're walking, with, when we hear his voice, when we obey what he says, um, he gets the glory when he works through us. Um, countless stories can be told. Um, thinking back of George Mueller and um, praying over an empty table of food, of no food, and then the doorbell ringing and food being provided. Um, these types of things happen. Why? Because the, the, this man hears, obeys, and he watches God works. He, he watches God work. He has faith that the Lord is going to work. Um, Gideon is, 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 is beside himself. He's fearful. He's unsettled. Um, he's scared. He says, Lord, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know if, if this is going to work out. And you know what's interesting? The Lord knows what we need to hear when we need to hear it. He knows... Um, when we need to hear, get a text message and, and an encouraging uh, message. He knows when we need to get a hug from a, a brother or sister in Christ or, or a, a, just to have a cup of coffee with it. He knows when we need these things. Um, and he, knows, he, he knew it in Gideon's uh, case. Um, in, in chapter 7, we'll skip forward, chapter 7, verse 9. Uh, this is on the, the eve of this, this big fight. Um, chapter 7 and verse 9, he... Uh, Sorry. And it happened that same night that the Lord said to him, Gideon, Arise, go against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards you shall, um, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So <clears throat> the Lord wakes him up, and he says, Listen, get up. I've got, I've got something to show you. If you're too scared to go by yourself, Take somebody with you, okay? Pura, this, this servant of his. Um, this, just on a side note, 
side, just something I was gleaning for myself, how encouraging it is for us to, do, to, to, to live alongside each other, to encourage one another. Um, how, you know, it's, it's hard to go into a doctor's appointment by yourself. How encouraging is it to be there with somebody that, that you know, that you trust, that you love, or, or whatever that is. Um, t- you know, I think of um, the, the, the love and support that Tori and I have gotten over the last few months from everybody here. Um, just the, the, the coming alongside, the encouraging, the, the, the prayers, all of that has, has been, like, I can't, I can't even tell you. I, I could not put into words how much that means to me and to us um, for, for the love and support you guys have, have showered upon us over the years. Um, Pura gets up, middle of the night, you know, goes down, he, and imagine the, that wake-up call, hey, get up, we're going to go into the enemy village, and, and the Lord's going to show us something. It's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Doesn't question it, just goes, listens to Gideon, and he goes, wherever you're going to go, I'll go with you. And he goes down with Gideon, and Gideon hears something, and uh, in verse 13 of chapter 7, it says, and when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his ca- companion. He said, I have a, I've had a dream, to my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and that tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, listen to this, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp, almost verbatim what the Lord just told him. This is exactly what Gideon needed to hear. How encouraging is our God? How loving and supporting is he? He knows what we need. Um, Gideon needed to hear this. He needed to hear this. What I think is very interesting is, rewind back to the beginning of the story. Where's Gideon? He's in a wine press. Perhaps he's threshing barley. And all of a sudden, this man um, has a dream about this victory, this foreshadowing of what was going to take place that next day or in the wee hours of the morning, perhaps, and definitely in, in in the nighttime. God knew that Gideon needed to hear that. He encourages us. He strengthens us. If we hear him, hear his voice, if we obey his voice, we watch him work, and he knows exactly what to do. He has all the pieces in play. Um, All of that unsettledness, all of that uneasiness that Gideon Gideon had in his heart is gone. His fear turns to courage. Um, His his scared state uh, turns to fearlessness. What changed? What changed? It was the constant reminder that the Lord gave him along the way that I am with you. You will win. I am behind you. I have sent you. I am peace. Be at peace. And he tells them exactly what they needed to hear. Um, And he tells us the same. He tells us the same. We serve and worship the same God. The Lord Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you if you're his. I will never leave you no matter what you're going through, no matter what tribulation, no matter what the Lord has asked you to do. Um, perhaps it's, you know, I think of these missionaries that are, that are um, we have a friend that, that from up north um, sold everything and, and moved to a, a, a country. He has a wife and children. That's, that's a scary venture to do. 
um, how do you know, um, wh where do you get that? Where do you, where, where, how do you know what the Lord wants you to do? You hear his voice, you obey his voice, and you watch him work. Um, and, and he is the one that, that reminds us that he is with, with them. Um, as the story closes, um, we'll, we'll, I'll finish the story. Um, so Gideon, 300 men, now he's encouraged. He's ready to go. The Lord's with me. Um, I've heard it. I've obeyed it. I'm going to watch God work. Um, he tells everybody, okay, go get pitchers and put a lamp inside and then grab a trumpet. Think about the 300 men. Like, just think about what they're going through. Okay, first of all, we just sent, what is, what is that, 31,300 men home. Now it's 300 of us, and perhaps they're thinking, okay, we're the tough guys, right? And he says, okay, this is what I want you to do. Grab some pottery and a trumpet and a flashlight, and we're going to go to war. Okay, whatever you say. And so they march into the, and, and isn't it nice that the tri, the, this whole army is in the valley? So they, Gideon breaks them up into, hundred, uh, uh, into hundreds, um, and he sets them all, all around the edge. And when the timer's right, they all synchronize their watches, and he says, when I tell you to, I need you to break the pots that will expose the light and at the same time blow this trumpet, and then you will say, um, uh, let me find it here. Um, the, sword, uh, the sword of the Lord of Gideon. You'll scream this at the top of your lungs, right? Side note, um, just a, a thought that I was thinking about too. Um, you know, when the Lord asks for our light to shine, um, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. How does that light shine? When we're broken, when we're, when we're yielded to God, when we, when we obey when we hear and obey and watch him work, this is when that light shines out. And this is when we can be used by God. And, and the trumpet blasts, they scream, everybody in camp wakes up. They don't know what's going on. There's chaos. They take out their swords and they start killing each other. And then they're on, then, then they're on the run. And, and Gideon pursues them. And it says that 100 and, uh, 110,000 men die that day. No, I'm sorry, 120,000 men died that day. 120,000, because there was 15,000 left at the end. 120,000 die after the pursuit. Um, who gets the victory? Was it Gideon's know-how and his strength and his military prowess? No, it was the Lord. Um, Gideon sat back and he watched the Lord work. Um, just in closing, reading um, in James, James says, So then, brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. Be a listener. L hear God's word. Listen to what he's telling you to do. And this is in the time of trials, uh, like what Gideon's in. Um, and then, uh, then he, uh, dropping down a few verses, uh, James reminds them to be doers of the word in chapter 1. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. So hear God's word, but that's not enough. Don't stop there. Be obedient to God's word. Listen to what he says, and then sit back and watch him work. This is what these men uh, of old did. This is what the Moody's and the, the Grams and the, um, the CT studs did. Um, they were simply um, obedient, and, and the Lord gets the glory for, that, for this. Um, and so hopefully this is encouraging to us 
as we go forward, uh, you know, I think of all the, the work that takes place in this assembly, the Awana programs, the Tuesday night programs, the Saturday night programs, the, the, just the, the missions trips and all these things, uh, special music and, and everything. Um, to be godly servants, we need to hear, obey, and then watch God work uh, in this assembly. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to thank you um, once again for your word, um, for the power that it contains. And Father, we thank you for this, uh, this account that we have of Gideon's life, of, of a man, uh, a simple man from a simple upbringing that was used greatly by you and that you got the glory for. And Father, we pray that the, the same would be said of this assembly. Um, Lord, that we would listen to what you have to say to us. Um, Lord, that we would uh, turn around and be obedient to these things. And Lord, we pray that we would stand back and watch you do great things. Um, Lord, help us and, and, and put your finger on the things in our life that need to change. And Lord, um, we just thank you. We thank you for this assembly. We ask your blessing upon it and a blessing on the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.